So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, man, Um, I'm your friend, Nate Larkin, here with our good friend, David Hampton. Hey, David, how are you? I'm well. How are you out there in uh, the snow country from... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Allie and I are wrapping up uh, two weeks out in the West. We're in uh, the Grand Tetons staying actually in Idaho. Good friends offered us the use of a, of a vacation home here for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, a place close to the Grand Teton National Park and just a couple hours from Yellowstone, uh, just in a beautiful setting. It has been really a, a very, um, it's been a relaxing couple of weeks, I will tell you. And and thank you, by the way, for you know covering while I was gone. Uh, ah. you, you did the you did the interview that that uh, we'll play in just a few minutes. By the way, fantastic job on that interview. Well, what a great guest. thank you. She was a great guest, and we missed yeah. you. But uh, it was it was a great guest. <laughs> yeah, but in the meantime, I, I do have to tell you, I feel like I've been you know, through two seasons when we arrived here in Idaho, we flew into Salt Lake and then drove, uh, about the, it takes about four hours to get from there to where we are. Yeah. And we got here in the height of, of autumn. Oh man. Oh man. Just the colors are just phenomenal and beautiful crisp air. We're at 6,500 feet elevation and uh, just gorgeous. And since we got here, winter has arrived. Uh, we've actually we've actually had two snows. Oh my uh, gosh! So, that, so now everything is white. Uh, the temperatures have dropped considerably. Uh, we're supposed to drive out tomorrow. There's more snow in the forecast. I hope we can make it. And uh, there's some uncertainty. We're flying southwest home, so I have a little bit of. Uh, you know, they've had some troubles in the recent days yeah. with uh, flight cancellations. Hopefully we'll get home. I am ready to get home. Are you ready to um, see your uh, your old block and uh, Main Street yeah. misses you? And- <laughs> I, I, you know, as wonderful as vacation is, it takes me out of my rhythm, out of a routine mm-hmm. that, I, you know, that I have developed. One that over time, you know, has helped me find stability and recovery. Yeah. And uh, so here, you know, I don't have my normal places to walk and my normal people to walk with. Although fortunately, I've been able to connect with my guys by phone. So I've still been able to have some daily conversations that Mm -hmm. that's helped. Yeah. Uh, I am, 
I don't have anything to distract me here, David. Well, aside from all the natural beauty, right? But yeah. uh, I don't have I don't have work to do, and I don't have errands to run. I've manufactured a few errands just to stay busy. Allie and I have not had this much extended time together alone. I don't, and I don't know how long. Wow. Just us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you are you both uh, at the point where you're you're ready to shake hands and go back to your yeah. <laughs> go to your corners? <laughs> I, I I think so. I I think we're both ready to go back to civilization and to reengage with other people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how people do it who are who are not able to have you know a social connection with others on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, well, Allie, Allie and I are very compatible. We've made all kinds of adjustments. You know, we've negotiated our relationship and we know what to expect from each other. It, you know, it, it hasn't been tension filled at all. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, yeah, I think we're both ready to get back to, back to friends, back to routine, back to yeah. all that remains to be done when we get back to Franklin to prepare for the big move. Oh yeah, because uh, you've got that yeah. coming up. We'll have to talk about that sometime too, because yeah, you've got yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of lot of disruption ahead of you. Yeah, really do, really do. But uh, anyway, how's it going? You know, you and I have missed our regular coffee dates. I haven't been able to sit across the table from you the last yeah, couple of weeks. Not you doing all much. right? Yeah, I am doing all right. Not much is new. I um, I painted a wall in my place, uh, my living room, black. And I'm trying to see okay. how I like it. It's a, it's actually called Black Fox uh, Sherwin Williams. If anybody wants to check out uh, Black Fox walls and Google them, but it makes this really cool accent wall in my living room. And I mean, I, that's not a big deal, but it's on my mind because I'm actually sitting um, and looking at it right now. I'm not in the office this morning yet, so okay. Um, okay. So I'm sitting and, and admiring that um, you know you put artwork on it, it, it pops and it warms the place up and all that stuff but i've been piddling you know like uh i've just been doing stuff that i've wanted to get done for a while and it's like you know i wonder i wonder what the metaphorical meaning of that black wall is now you didn't paint you didn't paint your whole living room black right but uh, somehow even the rest of the room is accentuated by one black wall yeah, because for I think yeah for the for the light to uh, have um, a purpose and for the yeah. light to matter and for the uh, beauty to be reflected in the other lighter palettes, I think there's yeah. got to be darkness somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so, a metaphorical thing. So yeah, so how how many of us when we got into recovery, our goal was to have all sweetness and light. We want to, you know, we've been in the darkness for a long time and we Mm -hmm. want to surround ourselves with light and allow no more darkness in. We think that darkness is the enemy. Right. And Uh, it's, you know, darkness is frightening and yeah. Yeah. And oddly not to be overly metaphorical, but the black wall represents to me the integrated life. You know, we talk a lot about that, but you can have darkness and be comfortable, you know, Mm. um, it doesn't have to be, um, that, you know, when I'm in this place, it's bad. And when I'm in this space, it's good. 
it can all coexist and all be part of the same, you know, great, complicated, hard, wonderful story, you know. Uh, uh, and then uh, you throw some artwork on the dark shit and it gets, <laughs> it gets pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, we've got a conversation coming up that hits just perfectly on this theme. Mm. Uh, and we didn't plan to arrive at this theme. We just got here, David, yeah. uh, in our conversation. But the, the theme of the integrated life yeah, uh, and moving with uh, you know, acceptance and compassion toward all, of, all parts of ourselves and all parts of our life is uh, key to uh, recovery. Absolutely. It's a great, con- great conversation. I- I- I'm going to put this in the top 10 of ah. our episodes. I really am. Yeah. Uh, I've already, I've already told Allie that she's got to listen to it. We've got a long car ride ahead of us tomorrow and we'll play this uh, interview at least once, maybe a couple times before we get to Salt Lake. Stay with us. You are not going to want to miss this conversation on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast, and today I am um, going to be flying solo. Nate had an unexpected uh, commitment, and uh, we have a great guest today, and her name is Jenna Remersma, and she is a Harvard-educated innovator. She's a therapist, a best-selling author. Uh, she's making emotional wellness accessible, and she has a brand new book called All Together You that I want her to talk about. And um, she is also working in internal family systems uh, in her practice. She's got a lot of exciting things that she's a part of in the world of recovery. And uh, so rather than me tell you about her, I want to introduce her. So Jenna, welcome to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Thank you so much, David. I'm really excited to be with you. Well, thank you. We are obviously a podcast, you know, oriented toward recovery and recovering people and loved ones of recovering people. And so you do a lot of, a lot of work in that area. So uh, how did you um, come to make your way into doing this kind of work? Yeah, it's a great question because in my 20s, back in the day, I worked on Capitol Hill and uh, was doing public policy. So this is in some ways a complete 180 from that. And I now um, run a clinical center that focuses on um, treating sex addiction and betrayal trauma and uh, and just trauma in general. And, and I absolutely love it. Some people say that working on Capitol Hill and focusing on addiction are kind of the same thing. So maybe I didn't make too much of a pivot. <laughs> I was going to say your, your clientele may be more similar than we all want to believe. So <laughs> Exactly. But um, my life has been closely touched by uh, people who have struggled with addiction. And oh my goodness, I have lots of my own parts that like to do all kinds of crazy compulsive things like eat all the Oreos and, you know, have two glasses of wine at the end of the day when I'm under stress. And so I I completely connect to... um, having parts that like to do things that are not helpful. And so, yeah, everything I do is kind of around addiction and internal family systems. And I love it. Mm -hmm. And you see uh, clients uh, one-on-one, is that right? 
I do, um, although my practice is transitioning to be more training therapists, because what we're discovering is that our traditional approaches to treating trauma and addiction um, are uh, have a pathologizing element to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea being that we move against the parts of ourselves that are doing and feeling things that we don't like. And what we're discovering in addiction work with such high rates of relapse is that um, that is actually ineffective. It's not really honoring what the parts of us are trying to help us with that are engaged in these behaviors. And so we're really learning that moving towards those parts of us with curiosity and compassion is a much more effective way to help them heal. And we do that with this internal family systems model and it is exploding in popularity in trauma and addiction treatment. And there's so many therapists that wanna learn how to do it that most of what I'm doing now is speaking and training other clinicians. Wow. Well, so tell us a little bit before we talk about your book, tell us a little bit about what internal family systems really means. I would love to because it's kind of a wild thing when you think about it. Uh, Most of the time we think of ourselves as one monolithic being and we tend to, as a result, over identify with something that a part of us is feeling or doing. So we say things like, hi, my name is Joe and I am an alcoholic or my name is Brianna and I am anxious. We, We identify ourselves and we think of ourselves as just one monolithic entity. But the truth is that we kind of intrinsically know that's not the case. I know for myself, there's one part of me that wants to eat the whole box of Oreos in one sitting. And then there's another part of me that wants to only eat kale and go to the gym. And then there's a critic part of me that jumps up and yells at me if if uh, my Oreo eating part takes over. And, and those are very different parts of me. And they're at war with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, what... IFS or internal family systems has discovered is that inside of us, hence the word internal, there's a whole family of parts and they all operate within a system together and we can't kick any one of them out and we actually don't want to because they're all good, Mm -hmm. even if what they're doing and feeling is not good in that moment. And it's a pretty revolutionary way of treating trauma and addiction and of understanding who we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is this, um, or would it be similar to something like, I don't know if you're familiar with Jill Bolte Taylor. Um, she's a, a neuroscientist and she had a stroke uh, back in the nineties and uh, she wrote a book called uh, stroke of insight. And then she wrote another book called whole brain living. And she divided the brain into about four characters that seem to, uh, serve the same roles that you just talked about, you know, the internal family dynamic that, exists in our in our brain the critic the uh impulsive alarm system the uh person that's gonna make peace with all of them um it reminds me of when i was in um aa meetings and someone would say the committee in my head voted and i drank (laughs) you know uh so so what happens when we've got these um these different um i I don't want to say personalities but these different elements uh within us these different characters or whatever we want to call them. Um, how do we make peace uh, with all these voices? Uh, it's a great question. Um, and what I would say is that 
IFS is not the first model, certainly the one you mentioned, and all the way back to the beginning of, of uh, therapy with Freud and id, ego, and superego, and Jung, and um, there are many, many different models of understanding human functioning that are aware that there are different aspects of who we are. But IFS is the only one, to my knowledge, that actually concretizes that in a way that will change our lives today. Um, and that's why I'm so excited about it. And it helps us to understand that not only do we have a variety of different parts inside of us, or not literally little human beings running around inside of us, but different mm -hmm. aspects to our personality, let's say, but there is underneath all of those at our core, a fundamentally undamaged, positive, what IFS would call self what most spiritual traditions call as the God image within us, or uh, depending on what spiritual tradition you're coming from, mm -hmm. might be called Buddha or Atman or Chi or flow or Prana um, in a Christian tradition, the God image. And the idea is that we want to be led by that God image or that core self rather than by our burdened parts. And there's really just three different types of parts they get burdened from trauma, which just means bad things that happen to us or good things that should have happened to us that didn't like neglect or abandonment. And they are fundamentally good parts of us, but they get covered over in that trauma with trauma burdens. And when that's the case, they get stuck in those roles and in those moments in time. And there's three types of parts. We have parts that are called exiles. Those are the parts that carry our trauma messages and our trauma feelings, things like shame, powerlessness, worthlessness, brokenness. Um, and then we have two types of protector parts that try to protect us from that pain. We have the proactive parts that are called managers that try to prevent that pain from ever getting triggered. So those are things like control, people-pleasing, perfectionism, um, spiritualizing, which would be using God language or or spiritual behaviors to try to bypass pain, which is different than the, the authentic connection to the divine that mm -hmm. resides in our God image at the mm -hmm. core. So that's mm -hmm. an important distinction. Then we have the reactive ones. That's where all the addictions lie. And those are the ones that IFS calls firefighters. And when our exiles get triggered and we're flooded with shame or worthlessness or rejection, the firefighters jump in and try to put that out. That's why they're called firefighters. They rush in and try to put it out because it's a fire of pain. And firefighters are all the addictions. Um, that would be sex addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, self-harm, dissociation, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, um, eating disorders, all of those types of things. And really they're, they're good parts, meaning uh, they're trying to help us avoid pain. They've just gotten stuck because of trauma in a bad role. And they repeat it over and over again, because once they're stuck, they don't know that there's another way until we bring the positive healing energy of that God image or that core self inside of us to yeah. these parts and help them to heal. And it's a completely different way to approach trauma and addiction than anything else that we do in the field of addiction work. And it is incredibly powerful, non-pathologizing and liberating. Wow. Well, it sounds it sounds pretty fascinating, and it sounds uh, like an intriguing way to approach um, recovery. I, you know, 
how I hate to, I hate to use the word success rate because that we don't know. I mean, I know that, but, um, (laughs) but how does it stack up to, um, let's say people, um, in long-term recovery, um, versus maybe the revolving door and some of the other ways we've tried to, uh, tried to help others? That's a great question. And I will say that IFS is evidence-based, so uh, it is scientifically proven to be effective. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, I'm trained in a gazillion different models of trauma treatment, EMDR, experiential, psychodrama, you, you name it, I'm trained in it. And in my experience, this is the game changer. Um, because in addiction treatment, we tend to define success by how long can you go without doing the thing. And if you, if you go a long time, then you're successful. I would question that because there are some people who go a long time without doing the thing Mm -hmm. and they're miserable because (laughs) what they've done is, is they've taken the part of them that is stuck trying to help them by repeating this unhelpful behavior. And they've tried to lock it in the basement. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that in so doing we're ignoring or we're not understanding why this part is doing what it's doing And we're not appreciating how it's trying to help us. IFS changes all of that. IFS welcomes that part with curiosity and says, hey, the part of you that wants to go get drunk or the part of you that wants to binge eat the entire box of Oreos Mm -hmm. when you're feeling shame or overwhelmed, welcome. Where's that showing up in and around your body? Ask that part when it first learn to try to help you by doing this thing that it's doing. Okay. Memory's likely to come up. When, when was the first time this part learned to look at porn to help you avoid the feeling of rejection? Whoa, memory comes up. Where's the first time this part of you learned how to eat sugar so you would feel better when you're rejected? I can tell you exactly when that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. What does this part want you to know about how it feels about this job? that it's having to do for you, continuing to eat sugar so that every time you feel rejection, it brings comfort to you. Well, it turns out that these parts that are stuck in these roles don't actually like what they're doing and they would rather be doing something else, but they don't think there's another option. Well, as soon as we recognize that, we can then invite them into the other option. And the option is not locking them in the basement and hating them. Mm We're not calling them character defects and wanting to kick them out of the system, which by the way, we can't do. And they tend to resent that and flare up, which is why we have so much relapse in addiction treatment, because we lock these parts in the basement and they get pissed off Mm -hmm. and they take over again. Um, Rather than fighting them, we get to know them and why they're doing what they're doing, Mm -hmm. how they're trying to help us. And we offer them a better way. And it turns out that they are greatly relieved when that's the case. And they then become freed up to do what they were designed to do, which is often the opposite of what they're doing. So when I'm working with clients, my goal is not stop it. Mm -hmm. That's not my goal. Mm -hmm. They probably have a manager part, a controller or a spiritualizer or a do it right part that's really pissed off at the firefighter part that keeps acting out in the addictive behavior. And it's usually the manager that calls me on the phone and says, hey, 
My name is Fred and my life has become unmanageable. And the translation of that is I can't keep this firefighter that keeps drinking locked in the basement. And I've heard that you're a professional firefighter kicker butter. And I want you to come and align with me and kick the butt of this part that keeps drinking alcohol. Cause I'm really aggravated that it keeps drinking the alcohol and it has become unmanageable. It's bigger than I am. And I can't figure out how to lock it in the basement anymore. Okay. My job as a therapist is not to align with that part and lock the alcohol drinking part in the basement because now the alcohol drinking part just feels even more hated which compounds the shame that's driving the alcohol drinking, I'm actually making the problem worse. Mm -hmm. So as a therapist, I want to welcome the manager part that says, hey, this firefighter is unmanageable. It keeps drinking. It's making my life miserable. But I also want to welcome the firefighter and say, wow, this part of you probably feels very alone. Could we just get to know it for a minute? How, how is this part attempting to help? When does it get activated? When did it first start doing that? Oh, so it's been trying to help you avoid pain and rejection by getting you blackout drunk for 25 years? How does it feel about this job? Oh, it's exhausted. Oh my gosh. If it didn't have to worry about helping you in this way, what would it rather do? Oh, it would, it would actually rather help you connect in intimate relationships? Wow. Would you let this part of you know that there's actually a way that we could free it up to do that? See if it would be interested. And then we go to the shame that's driving the drinking part and we heal the part that's carrying the shame. Now the drinking part doesn't have to drink anymore and the behavior resolves itself because there is no longer the want to drink, which is wildly different then I'm going to lock this drinking part in the basement and it's out in the parking lot doing push-ups while I'm in this 12-step meeting. And I got to be on guard all the time and keep my defenses up. And I got to fight this character defect. And I'm constantly fighting and battling this part of myself, mm -hmm. which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. This is the complete opposite. This is a healing through love. And through compassion, not saying what the part is doing is okay, but saying the most effective way to heal it is to welcome it, not to fight it. Right. Well, and so you'll, you'll get people that come in and they do want you to just help them stop doing this bad thing that is, you know, besetting them or whatever, or their families, you know, uh, in my experience, bring people to me and, you know, your job is to make him or her stop X, Y, and Z. You know, which again, can't can't do that. But um, how do you help people adjust their expectations about what your um, approach is going to be as opposed to not being the booze Nazi or the sex Nazi or the, you know, the whatever ass kicker <laughs> in chief or whatever your role is? <laughs> That's right. The chief ass kicker, because the first uh, stage of healing trauma and all addiction is trauma. All addiction is an attempt to cope with some form of trauma. Mm -hmm. And the first stage of healing, any form of trauma is safety. And I'll tell you that I'm aware in my own experience that if I have any sense that any part of you is going to judge me or shame me, or feel that a part of what I'm doing is bad or wrong, I don't have safety. Mm -hmm. And so right off the bat, I cannot provide safety to a client, even if one part of them is bringing them in to make them stop doing this behavior. Mm -hmm. Because that's how everybody comes into therapy. 
the behavior is continuing. The part of them that hates the behavior continues to hate the behavior. And that fighting between these two parts escalates until what we call in addiction work, the bottom mm -hmm. happens. The consequences have gotten so high and they come in and say, you got to help me stop. Well, only one, only one part of them is saying that there are other parts of them because you know what? The part that's desperately trying to help them avoid feeling whatever the pain is doesn't want to stop. That's why it's not easy to stop in addiction. And if I don't acknowledge that both of those parts are in the room, then I'm not doing my job establishing therapeutic safety. If I'm judging and shaming one part of the client, we have no safety in the room. Mm. Yeah. Well, no, go ahead. I was just going to say most clients feel tremendous relief at that because they come in desperate and defensive because none of us want to be judged. None of us want to be told what we're doing is stupid or bad or wrong or what's the matter with you. Can, we need to, quote, break through this denial, which is a way of beating up on, on a firefighter that's trying to help us survive something that's intolerable. And instead of that, which isn't very effective, and we tend to get a lot of, quote, resistance, it's much more helpful to say, wow, so there's a part of you that really doesn't want you to really face uh, the fact that you blacked out and hit a telephone pole last night. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't want to break that part down. That part it probably has kept you alive. When is the first time this part of you learned how to help you survive by not seeing or not knowing something that was too painful to know. Mm -hmm. Boom. When I was five and dad was beating mom and mm -hmm. I was powerless and the only, I couldn't leave and I couldn't fight him. So I had to not see what was true. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So this part has been trying to protect you since you were five years old from seeing what is actually true. Can you just extend some appreciation to this part of you? Oh, <sighs> Now the denial part that's desperately trying to keep the client alive and thinks the client is still five years old can relax and feel appreciated. Now I'm not in an arm wrestling match with the denial or the addiction or the part that wants all of it to stop. I'm actually compassionately in relationship with all these different parts of the client. And we have a much more effective, much more rapid and much less pathologizing way of getting to the desired goal without harming, shaming, or beating up any of the wonderful parts of the client that are trying to help them survive. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a really beautiful exercise in integrating someone. Well, very much so, because the way that we typically, in our, in our culture, in our faith communities, in our therapeutic environments, we typically contribute to the warring of internal parts. Having parts at war is a normal part of being human. That is just normal. A part of me, you know, uh, doesn't exercise as much as I should, and another part of me is criticizing me for it. That's completely normal. One part may drink, and the other part, you know, is like, I can't believe you did that. I swore we'd never do it. What's wrong with me? I'm a failure. There's just parts at war. That's part of being human. Um, but let's just take the diet industry, for example. The diet industry um, is a multi billion dollar ongoing growing industry by doing one thing and doing it well. And that is contributing to our parts being at war with each other. Mm -hmm. The diet industry says that part of you that wants to eat all the things, it's a bad part. Let's fight it. Mm -hmm. 
And the part that wants to eat all the things goes, stop it, stop it. I want to eat. I want to eat. And it takes back over again. So the diet doesn't work. And then the diet industry serves up another diet and says, now we're going to fight it by only eating meat. No, now we're going to fight it by only eating grapefruit or only eating whatever. Um, and that is ineffective, shaming, and hurtful. It's pathologizing. And um, the reality is shaming ourselves and hating ourselves or parts of ourselves for the things that they're doing that they learned how to do very early on in our lives to try to help us survive doesn't help. It makes our pain worse and it exacerbates the reason why the part is having to act out in the first place. So we want to do the reverse and IFS helps us to do that. The interesting thing is many people come to me and they want to do IFS and they find it to be wildly life-changing, which is why it's so popular. Right now there are over 9,000 people on the waiting list to get into a level one training for IFS. Wow. 9,000. There's a lottery system and people are desperate to get in. Mm -hmm. um, they can't keep up with the demand. So uh, many people come and want to learn this because once you experience it, it's like nothing else you've ever tasted before. Every part of you feels safe and feels welcome at the table. And uh, so, but the, the IFS model can feel a little bit complex for people, especially people who aren't therapists. There's these kind of weird names, exiles, managers, firefighters, mm -hmm. and there's all these steps you're supposed to do. Huh. It can be a little confusing. So I have tried to integrate that, which is the topic of my book, Altogether You. And um, I've taken it one step further. I've distilled the most powerful parts down into three simple words that literally anybody can use to apply this model to themselves today and change mm. their lives. Um, and I, yeah. I call that move toward, move toward with Jenna. Um, and it just makes it really easy for people to use this without having to go to therapy or be an expert on their own parts or anything. They can just remember three simple words. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like your book would be a good uh, resource for family members or loved ones as well, maybe to help understand how to be, more helpful as opposed to maybe just assuming that the answer is to just get someone to stop doing negative behavior? Oh, I love that question because I'm a family member of uh, wonderful people who have parts that are stuck doing uh, compulsive things that, that hurt. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that uh, as a loved one, that we have parts that come up that want to make that stop because that behavior that the loved one's part is engaged in is, is damaging and dangerous to us. The problem is that the ways that we develop parts that try to make that stop similarly make our pain worse when we try to control or when we uh, try to issue ultimatums or when we try to explain, can't you see what your addiction is doing to me? Can't you see how much harm? How could you do that to me, to the kids, to whatever? Um, those types of parts inside of us as loved ones are unsuccessful. They do not help. Um, they typically, just like the addicted parts in our loved ones, make the problem worse. They make our pain worse. Mm -hmm. And this book is very helpful because it helps us to get out of those unhelpful approaches that are very understandable, but wildly unsuccessful. And it helps us to do the magical step of taking a U-turn. And what that means is that when I have a burdened part that's running my life, 
my energy is going outward. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a family member of someone who's struggling with addiction, all my energy, if I'm in a burdened part, is going to be at what are they doing? What aren't they doing? Did they go to a meeting? Do I need to, I'm going to buy these books and leave them open on the nightstand. I'm going to check them. Did you call your sponsor? Have you done the thing? Are you working your steps? Like mm -hmm. da, 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 da. All my energy is going outside of me, which is disempowering me. So I want to invite my energy to go out from me and then take a U-turn back into me. And I just notice what is coming up in me. And I can take the three steps of move toward, which are notice, know, and need. So notice what's coming up in me. Fear. Great. Where do I notice that in or around my body? Oh, it's in my chest. My heart's racing and my throat's kind of closing off. Great. Let's see if we can just... I'm going to let my gentle awareness be present with that fear without trying to shift it in any way. Let me just welcome it for a moment, which by the way, is the reverse of what we ever do with things like fear or mm -hmm. addiction. Let's just welcome it for a moment. Let it know that it's welcome here. We know it's got an important message for us. <sighs> okay. That's settling. I'm getting a little bit of open heartedness toward the fear. Now I'm ready to go to step two, which is no, what does my fear want me to know? Well, it's afraid uh, that, that, you know, if this person acts out again, I'm going to be in danger. Great. Where did it first learn to feel that fear? Oh, well, back here at this earlier time in my life. Oh, okay. How old does the fear think I am? Oh, it thinks I'm five. Mm -hmm. Let me take a moment to update the fear as to how old I really am. Oh my gosh, that's a relief. My fear is feeling better. Okay, great. Now I can take step three, which is need. What does my fear need from me right now to feel a little less panicked, a little more comfortable? Well, maybe my fear just needs to be welcomed instead of shunned. We usually move against things like fear or addiction or whatever it is very aggressively. Maybe it just needs to be loved on a little bit and comforted. Maybe it needs me to actually set and hold a healthy boundary rather than throwing out a threat. A threat comes from a burdened part, which disempowers me. It teaches the other person to ignore my words and it takes away my power. A healthy boundary actually comes from that core self. And it comes from a place of taking care of me rather than managing you. That's huge for loved ones of people who are dealing with addiction. This concept of internal family systems, all of our inner parts, helps us get to that calm, clear-minded place where we can know what our boundaries are and state them in a loving but firm way and actually follow through if that is needed. And that's different than what happens when we're throwing out threats or ultimatums out of a burdened part. And uh, so this is incredibly powerful no matter what side of the addictive process we may be on, if we're a loved one or if if we're struggling with an addictive behavior ourselves, it's incredibly powerful to take a U-turn. Oh man, I want to go drink. I want to go shoot up. I want to go look at porn. Let me notice what's coming up in me rather than focusing on the pixels or the sex worker or the whatever it is, or the glass of wine. Let me turn my energy back in. Let me notice it. Where's this urge? Where's this part of me coming up in my body? Could I welcome it for a moment, just letting my attention be with it without trying to change it? What does this part of me want me to know? How's it trying to help me right now? Where did it first learn how to try to help me in this way? Ooh, some memories coming up. 
how old does this part that wants to look at porn think I am? Oh, it thinks I'm 11. Oh, okay. Let me update it. Okay. What does this part need from me right now to feel a little less panicked so that it doesn't have to take me over and cause me to act out? Oh, it needs me to reach out to a safe friend to get my intimacy needs met in a real way so that it doesn't have to panic and take over and try to get them met through a pixel. Those are the examples of the types of conversations that uh, our, my clients have with parts all, all the time that is wildly different than how we usually interact with these parts. It's enormously transformative and it's it's the same steps, whether we're a loved one or whether we're struggling with addiction, take a U-turn and then move toward this part of you. Notice no need. And um, it's really transformational, very powerful and just the complete opposite of what we usually do. Yeah. I would imagine, um, I mean, initially people um, wouldn't know what their fear needs. I mean, is that kind of an initial roadblock? We don't, uh, we don't, not only do we not need to know, we don't want to know. Um, if we're trying to figure out what our fear needs, that's coming from a figure it out part. All I have to do to take these steps is literally ask the part of me without trying to figure it out and just notice what comes to mind. And that's a real gift as both a therapist and as a client. I don't know what my fear needs. I don't know what the addicted part needs, but the part of me does. It knows exactly when it first started doing what it's doing. And if I compassionately and curiously, without any preconceived notions, if I ask it, hey, when did you first start helping me learn to avoid pain by drinking? Boom, a memory is going to come to mind. Not from me trying to figure it out, but literally the part will will be very appreciative that I'm getting curious about it. And, and typically the way that these parts of us will communicate, they throw up a memory um, or give us the impression of something. It's not woo-woo weird stuff like we're hearing voices or anything, but we'll just kind of go, oh, wait, yeah, I remember when I was six and those kids were bullying me and I came home and my parents weren't there and I found my dad's vodka and that helped me feel better. Oh, so this part of you has been trying to help you since you were six years old. Wow. Must be exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right. So we ask. Yeah. And what a different approach than, um, um, and I'm not throwing rocks here, but just a different approach than, um, counting sobriety days and hoping, you know, that, um, I'm not triggered and, uh, trying to avoid my triggers and trying to, you know, all these things that very often we fall into when we're just trying to manage behavior. And it takes, it seems that there's not a, there's not moral judgment going on in this system that, you know, we're, we're looking at here. So you have an institute or a a teaching um, uh, uh, organization in Atlanta, you said that is helping people um, take on these kinds of uh, training. Well, not a, not a teaching institute. I've got a clinical center here, the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing, and we've okay. got a fabulous team that all specialize in, in addiction and trauma. Um, so we're a clinical private practice, but I uh, work with a variety of different organizations and travel and speak quite a lot. And I run a lot of consultation groups with therapists all over the world 
who want to learn how to use this to treat trauma, addiction, uh, lots of different things, because there's nothing in human experience short of things that are organic, like traumatic brain injury, um, that this model uh, doesn't absolutely transform. And the beauty of it is you can integrate it with any other model of therapy that you may be practicing. So whether you're a client or a therapist, this makes what you're doing better. It makes it more effective and it's really brilliant. So people um, really seek that out. So I do a, a lot of just traveling and speaking for different organizations. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thank you for being with us. I, I want people to know how to get all together you, uh, the book, and also if they can get in touch with you or the um the institute that you're working with or the, the clinical uh, practice that you're a part of? I mean, how can people benefit from what you're doing? I would love to welcome people to take advantage of all the free resources that I offer on movetoward.com. And so I've got tons of free videos, guided meditations to help move toward anxiety, fear, overwhelm, panic, addiction, trauma, all the things uh, I've, I've got online teaching. I've got an online workshop where I teach through my book and the book altogether. You is, uh, it, the subtitle is experiencing personal and spiritual transformation with internal family systems therapy. And it's available on Amazon. And, uh, it was a number one bestseller, uh, when it came out, number one new release. And, uh, people are, are just, um, I hear from all over the world, it's being translated into many languages that people are just, this is unlike anything else that people have ever encountered. And that just makes my heart so joyful because um, that's what it's been like for me experiencing this model and this compassion for all parts of me, um, freeing me from so much shame and self-condemnation and freeing me from behaviors that were not helpful. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this is a way to offer that to your listeners as well. So the book again is all together, you on Amazon. Or you can come check out my website, movetoward.com. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This is so helpful and I think freeing for many people because, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we, we don't have to tell too many stories about how our old modalities of trying to help people, ourselves included, um, from we, we've been taking maybe the, the, the approach from the wrong side. Um, and, uh, so it's encouraging to hear what you're, what you're offering and maybe how we could all benefit from, uh, looking into that and, and taking that on in a different way. Um, as opposed oh, to <laughs> just perpetuating the argument with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And you know what? I would love to offer a free gift, um, to your listeners if they'd like to, they're welcome to text my name, which is Jenna, J E N N A. Um, they can text it to 55444, and uh, that'll immediately email them three free guided meditations, audio meditations, so they oh, can practice moving toward their parts today. That's great. Um, it'll send them a free one-page downloadable uh, move toward guided journaling worksheet so that if they like this approach and want to experiment with it, they can do it today. Oh, that's so, great. So, again, they can just... Text Jenna to 55444. Well, Jenna, thank you. I mean, we're all about free stuff here. We love it. <laughs> so that's absolutely uh, that's a great <laughs> thing. And thank you for, for that. And uh, and thank you again for being here. And um, 
listeners, check out All Together You and um, and take advantage of these free resources. This is valuable stuff. And uh, so, Jenna, we will look forward to uh, maybe having you again sometime soon. And uh, thank you again and all the best in the work that you're doing there. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me. And I just wish you all the best in the beautiful work you're doing on this podcast. Well, thank you. Listeners, we'll be right back on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I had so much fun in that interview. (laughs) (laughs) But man, I could tell you you were enjoying it. You were tracking so closely with her. Oh, there were so Uh, many questions that I didn't get time to ask her. And I want her to come back uh, mm -hmm. because I want to tackle, um, as well as all the great stuff she gave us, which I want us to touch base on, I want to tackle how that internal family systems model um, juxtaposes itself against mental illness or, or mental mm-hmm. health diagnosis that is, um, you know, that is really particularly challenging for somebody. Um, yeah. you know, I, cause I'd be really curious about how some of those things, when a person is not able to be as objective with themselves, mm-hmm. um, yeah. how that works out. But I was so surprised at how, uh, so much of what she said was paralleling, uh, Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor, our one of our past guests mm-hmm, recently, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, with the way the brain integrates, you know, and yeah, more and yeah, more of this yeah. uh, recovery work that I'm coming across and um, seeing people have really great success with is a integrating instead of trying to isolate and and control and stop yeah. behavior, right, yeah, but yeah, integrating yeah. and then giving yourself permission to understand that this is a process, you know, you're not signing off a, I will never, ever, ever do X, Y, or Z again. Um, Mm -hmm. but rather we're going to create, um, distance between these things and, um, and, and understand where we're coming from when we do find ourselves back in a, in a place where we hoped we didn't experience again. You know, yeah. I don't know what, what were some of your thoughts on it being the, well, you know, I, I, I was struck first of all, by, you know, we do know that, um, relapse is not at all uncommon in recovery. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's, it's, it's more, uh, the rule than the exception. Right. Certainly more than I norm. can say it's yeah. bang, bang part of my story. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was illuminating to me, uh, when she made the point that the control strategies that we typically adopt in battling addiction uh, when we try to stifle a part of us that is sincerely trying to protect us mm-hmm. uh, you know from 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 an imagined threat how those control strategies actually set us up for relapse get mm-hmm. us closer to it yeah uh, uh, not unlike that geyser that I saw in Yellowstone it takes about 90 minutes for the pressure to build up, but it's got to blow, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, unless unless we adopt a, an entirely different strategy. And uh, I love the way that she has further simplified internal fam- family systems to make it even more accessible. I, I must tell you that, that uh, I was intimidated by my first encounter with that mode of uh, treatment, 
trying mm. to remember all the labels and, you know, uh, yeah, she's done, a, <laughs> she's, yeah, she's done a beautiful job of just making it easier. Three words, three steps. Yeah. Uh, Very accessible. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up the book. Yeah. And, uh, I, I do think this is another major milestone in, uh, you know, in the field of recovery, in our endeavor to help ourselves and help others. Certainly yeah. it's not, it's not the answer for everything and everyone. That's mm-hmm. it's a point that a past guest made, you know, some, everything works for somebody and nothing works for everyone. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I, I do think this really is a game changer. Yeah. I would also encourage, you know, the listeners to share this podcast with family members and loved ones who mm-hmm. um, have people in their lives that are struggling because I really think it's a, it's a helpful way for families to learn to think as well um, for relationships uh, to learn to think about what's going on as well. So mm-hmm. that, um, you know, there's less of this uh, parking people at the doorstep of treatment and saying, come back when you don't do this anymore. You yeah, know, yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah which yeah, is yeah, what yeah. I encounter just about every day of the world. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I'm very excited for her altogether. You book and, and uh, just, you know, listeners, you are uh, welcome to share these episodes, by the way. So please do. Okay. Fantastic. Well, hey, by the way, listeners, we do love to hear your feedback. It's always helpful. Uh, and uh, your suggestions, uh, your helpful critiques, and you can reach us always at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Hey, before we wrap, uh, put in a plug for our great sponsor, will you, David? Yeah, betterhelp.com. Betterhelp, H E L P. Dot com slash positive sobriety. And if you use that slash positive sobriety, you will get a discount on your initial subscription. And it also lets us know that uh, the things that we're offering you, the resources that you're taking advantage of, we just got some better help uh, uh, acknowledgements this week in the emails that uh, you guys mm-hmm. are are taking advantage of this. And it's a great service because it's a licensed therapist that's available to you at your time, your convenience. And you can go with this person as long or as little as you'd like. If you need to change a therapist in the, in the middle of things and feels like it's not clicking for you, they don't have any problem with hooking you up with somebody new. And, um, and these folks are trained, licensed professionals and you can go to them with everything that you would go to any traditional counseling uh, practice for in person. But you get to do this from your home, from the privacy of your car, from wherever it is that you feel most comfortable talking to someone. And uh, they will walk you through getting unstuck. So please, please avail yourself to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. Okay, well... Uh, what a great conversation. What a delight uh, to be able to give this episode to the world. Uh, great to see your face again, David. Ah, Good to see you. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich. 
Uh, Hair and Makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford.